0: going to turn to the gospel of Mark, Mark chapter number 12. Mark chapter number 12. The way of the cross leads home. There's no other way but this. There's only one way to be saved. Not through being a member of any church, including Cornerstone Baptist Church. You're not going to get to the gate of heaven and God's going to say, okay, why should I let you into my heaven? And you're not going to be able to say, well, I was a member of Cornerstone Baptist Church. He's going to say, that's nice, That doesn't get you in here. Um, only through the blood of Christ shed on the cross could we be saved. Mark chapter number 12, and uh, we're going to read and study this morning, verses 28 down through verse number 32, 34. Uh, mark twelve twenty eight through thirty four the Bible says this, and one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, "Which is the first commandment of all?" And Jesus answered him, "The first of all the commandments is, "Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind." With all thy strength, this is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said unto him, Well, master, thou hast said the truth. For there is one God, and there is none other but He. And to love Him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love His neighbor as Himself, is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that He answered discreetly, He said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. And no man after that durst ask Him any question. And let's pray together. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the time together already today. But Lord, now as we turn our attention to the Holy Word of God, I pray that You would help us to understand what this passage is saying. And, uh, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just be good hearers, but that we would be good doers of what we hear, that we would allow the word of God to penetrate our hearts and to change our lives. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would give us all wisdom to that end. I pray, Lord, also that you would help me uh, to articulate clearly the truth here. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank Amen. you. You may be seated. The title of the message this morning is The Main Thing. The Main Thing. Now, here we go again. We've been walking through chapter 11 and 12, and we see all these different people coming to the Lord Jesus Christ with questions, trying to trip him up. Uh, well, in verse number 28, let's look here at what happens. After Jesus, and last week we looked at the ridiculous resurrection riddle, if you remember that, when uh, the Sadducees, who did not believe in the resurrection, and that's why they were sad, you see, and uh, they came to Jesus. Uh, I know that joke never gets old, I guess. Uh, I've heard it so many times, it kind of has gotten old. But anyway, it's a great way to remember who the Sadducees were. Well, they come to Jesus, and uh, they form this ridiculous riddle regarding uh, this lady who marries a brother, one of these, one of these men, and he has six other brothers. Well, he dies, and one by one, they all die, and no children. and And finally, they drop the bomb in verse 23 uh, in the resurrection. Therefore, and of course, they didn't believe in the resurrection, uh, but uh, they wanted to trip him up and and discredit his uh, teaching on the resurrection. So. In the resurrection, therefore, when they shall rise, whose wife shall be? she be of them? For the seven had her to wife. I remember Jesus said, hey, you err because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. And uh, see, when they rise, when, when they rise, by the way, not if they rise, when they rise, uh, they're not going to marry, they're not given in marriage, uh, but we're going to be like the angels which are in heaven. And uh, we illustrated that last week with my wife. And, and we're, we're not going to be face-to-face in heaven. We're going to be facing Him in heaven. And it's all going to be about uh, worshiping our bridegroom as the bride of Christ. We're all going to be, as believers, the bride of Christ. And then we talked about uh, the teaching of the Scriptures or the truth of the Scriptures. They do teach and uh, the resurrection and, yes, even in the Pentateuch. Well, verse number 28, one of the scribes was listening uh, to all of this. And he was part of the conversation. I don't know, he wasn't probably the one who formed this question. He was just an innocent bystander there, listening to what Jesus was going to say and how he was going to respond to what was going on here. And so, verse 28, one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well. So he was... um, not really one of the group that was trying to trip Jesus up. He was just kind of more just listening and a fly on the wall, so to speak. And he was impressed with how Jesus answered all the questions here. He perceived that he had answered them well. And so he says, you know, I have a question of my own. Now it doesn't give any indication here in the book of Mark that he was trying to trip Jesus up in this question. It, it According to Mark, it seems a little bit like he was more sincere than everybody else before. And, and so he asks him a sincere question, which is the first commandment of all? In other words, what is the main thing? Because you see, um, there are 613 laws in the Old Testament. 613. And there was constant debate about which one was most important, which which ones really needed our priority, and the other ones could be kind of dismissed a little bit, and so here he's wondering what Jesus will say when he asks him, what's the main thing? What's the first commandment of all? What should get our priority? And so this morning, I want us to consider three very important aspects as we walk through this passage and consider what the main thing is. First, let's look, number one here, at the commandments. And yes, there are plural commandments here. Uh, The scribe asked, which is the first commandment, singular, of all? But Jesus here goes and gives two of them. Verse 29, let's look first here at the supreme commandment. Jesus answer, answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. So he first starts with a quote from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter number 6 and verse number 4, uh, where he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. This was con- called the Shema, a prayer that devout Jews repeated on a daily basis. And they quoted this passage every day to remind them that Jehovah God alone is the Lord. And of course, it's a good idea for us to make sure that God has given his place of preeminence in our lives as well. Sadly, the Lord is often given a back seat in our day-to-day lives. So we're here today worshiping the Lord. But uh, do we, on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, uh, still keep Him as the first and most important part of us? So if we are to love Him above all else, there are some areas we need to concentrate on. In verse number 30, Jesus uh, continues on with this commandment. Not only is the Lord our God one Lord, uh, which is in contrast to all the different idol worshipers that were there that uh, were in Egypt at that time that God gave the uh, the law. But um, now he goes on and says, okay, you also need to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. So we got to love the Lord, and all of us would say, oh, I love Jesus. When Brother Randy asked how many of you love Jesus in here, I, I think pretty much every hand went off. Okay, But here is the extent into which we are to love the Lord. We are to love the Lord with all our heart. This means with every emotion and the affections of our hearts, we are to love Him first and foremost. He is to be the supreme uh, love of our lives. So we are to love Him with all of our heart, with all of our soul. This is every thought that we have. With our thoughts are all in... uh, in obedience to Him, and, and, and no thought comes more important than he, than he does with all of our mind. This means every decision needs to be pleasing to the Lord. With all of our strength, every deed, every action that we do, we, we do all for His glory and, and for His pleasure. With all of our strength. John Gill said this, He said that we are to love him with all the powers and faculties of the soul or with the affections as under the influence and guidance of the more noble faculties of the soul, the mind, the understanding, judgment, and will. And when he he says with all thy strength, uh, John Gill says this, with all thy might, that is with the greatest vehemency of affection in the strongest expressions of it, and with all the strength of grace that a man has. In other words, we are to love Him with all of our being. Now, I know all of us, or none of us here, fully do that on a regular basis, 100% of the time. Uh, which is, goes to show that we need a Savior. But this is the first and great commandment, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy, with all thy soul. Now, notice here in verse number 30, "...thou shalt love the Lord." And there's a three-letter word there that starts with the letter T. The Lord thy God. See, there's a relationship here. There's a personal relationship that this word indicates here. and, And so I like to just ask, is He really thy God? Is He really your God? Does He really belong to you, and do you belong to Him? We are to uh, love the Lord thy God, and there needs to be a personal relationship. And when there is a personal relationship, then you can really effectively love the Lord. But when there's not that relationship, it's very difficult to love somebody you don't really know. The Lord thy God. Now, love for God should be the supreme love in our lives, uh, that we love God more than anything else we love God more than sports, more than money, more than power, more than entertainment, more than religious rules, more than pleasure, more than houses or lands. We, love, we are to love the Lord our God more than anything else. We are also to love the Lord our God more than anyone else. More than even our spouse. And I love my wife. Uh, we have a great relationship, but my love for God needs to be more than my love for Julie. And God, love for God needs to be more than our love for our parents, more than our children, and even more than our grandchildren, more than friends. We are to love Him more than anything else and more than anyone else. We are to love Him above all. Now, why should we love God? Well, obviously, it's commanded that we would love God, but also because of all that He has done for us. Because, my friend, I don't know if you've checked recently, but God has blessed us immensely. And not just because we're an American. I mean, that is another set of blessings that come with that. But because of what He did for us on the cross of Calvary, because of the health that He has granted us, because of uh, allowing us to be part of a local church like this one, and, and not to mention some of the other physical blessings. Some of us have pretty nice homes. Some of us have pretty nice vehicles. Some of us are wearing pretty nice clothing. God has been very gracious and good to us. And certainly He deserves our love. I read about two golfers, and they stepped up to the first tee on St. Andrew's Golf Course in Ardsley, New York, one of America's oldest golf courses. The older... Man was a kindly man who played a really thoughtful, deliberate game. The younger man was full of pride and impatience. On the first hole, he badly sliced the ball and uh, ended up losing his ball in the tall grass. And so he shot another one and ended up having a score of eight on that hole instead of four or five. Now, on the second tee, he began to lecture the caddy Hey, keep your eyes peeled! I'm not here to do your job for you. And thereafter, every bad shot was the caddy's fault. Okay. You didn't know it. This story's about Randy. (laughs) (laughs) And at the end of the first nine holes, the young man was so enraged that he discharged the caddy and carried his own bag. That caddy doesn't like me, he said to his companion. And I'm sure I don't like him. He made me nervous, and I'm glad he's gone. Well, after several holes had been played without a word, the older player broke the silence. He said several years ago, there's a little kid from Yonkers who came up here and was taken on as a caddy. He was a wonderfully sweet-natured little boy. He was quick-witted, willing, and had a nose for golf. And everybody liked him. His name was William. And uh, one thing about William, though, is he had a club foot. But that didn't affect his quality as a caddy, and it was actually a pleasure to go out with him. Well, There was a certain famous doctor, a member of the club, who became interested in William and eventually took himself on a long trip. When William returned, he went back to caddy. The doctor, however, had to get off golf shortly after that because of his health, and he died a few months later. And this older man continued, he said, One morning I was playing around with William, who was carrying my bag. Spring was running riot all over Westchester County, and the fields and hedges were alive with blossoms. William went around gathering flowers until he had this pretty impressive bouquet. Who's the girl, William? I asked. Oh, I haven't any girl, sir, he said sheepishly. They're for my friend, the doctor. See, twice a week I take flowers to his grave. You see, the man went on, the doctor took William down south that winter and operated on his foot. He made the boy whole again, and William never forgot the doctor's act of kindness. And the younger man chimed in, well, that's a caddy worth having. Whatever happened to this William? The older man said, Well, you just carried your bag today for the first nine holes. See, where are the Christians who would be ever grateful for the sacrifice that God made by sacrificing his son Jesus on the cross of Calvary? To where we would give him love. So we read these verses, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. How can I love him? Well, when you realize all that God has done for you, it's no problem to love him. But how do we know that we really love God? Jesus really gives us a measuring stick, and by answering that question later, when he said in John 14 and verse 15, if you love me, feel it really warm and fuzzy inside. That's not what he said. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So are we keeping that commandment? 1 John 5 and verse number 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. The first and supreme commandment can be really summed up, it really sums up the first four of the Ten Commandments. Most of us are familiar with the Ten Commandments. The first four deal with our relationship with God. And it, it, he, the first one is, No other gods before me. The next one is, No graven image. Third one is, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. The fourth one is to remember the Sabbath day, all in our relationship with God. And Jesus here kind of sums up all four of those into this one, where he says, uh, The Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, strength. So the supreme commandment is to love the Lord your God. But then Jesus doesn't stop there. That's all the scribe was asking for, which is the first commandment. Jesus didn't stop with just the first one. He goes on in verse number 31 to give them the second commandment. So we have the Supreme commandment, but then the second commandment is found in verse number 31. "The second is like, namely this, "Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment, nor none other commandment greater than these." And here Jesus quotes from Leviticus chapter 19 and verse number 18. If you have a reference Bible, you may see that cross-reference in the, uh, next to that verse. Now, see, once we realize God's love for us, and we're striving to love God supremely, what's going to happen? We're going to naturally want to love others as ourselves. 1 John 4, verse 11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. And... Uh, Here's the deal. A lot of people say, oh, I love Jesus, but then they have problems with their neighbors. If we're going to really love the Lord properly, it's going to be evident in the fact that we love also our neighbor as ourselves. And uh, if you recall in the book of Luke, when the question came to Jesus, well, who then is my neighbor? Uh, I'm Guessing they may regret it asking that question, but I'm glad that he did because Jesus gave us a definition of who our neighbor is. Our neighbor is everyone, whether they can do something for us, whether they are just exactly like us or not. And you read that story in the book of Luke and and you're going to find that uh, the Samaritan uh, gave pity upon a Jew. And uh, that didn't ever happen. The Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. And yet the Samaritan was willing to, just because he wasn't like him, didn't mean he wasn't willing to help him. He did help him. And he was willing to sacrifice and to give without expecting anything in return. This is what loving others is all about. By the way, the greatest way we can love others and show our love for others is by telling others the truth of how they can go to heaven, how they can be forgiven. And so, if you really love your neighbor, uh, you're not going to have a problem coming out on all church prayer and outreach. You're not going to have a problem taking a, a group of, or a stack of uh, flyers and going around and, and, and inviting people to church and getting people the gospel. Why? Because you love God enough that now you're also loving your neighbor enough to tell them the truth. And, uh, here's, here's the thing as we consider all these. Uh, consider loving God and loving our neighbor, we need to understand that these are connected. When we rightly do understand that God loves us, it's going to compel and constrain us to love Him supremely. And then that love for God is going to naturally result in our loving our neighbor as ourselves. And when we're not loving our neighbor properly, then I hate to break it to you, but we're not loving God properly. First John 4 and verse number 20 tells it, says it this way, If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. They're connected. So this morning, I... Wouldn't be bad for us to kind of ask ourselves the question, how am I doing in these two commandments? Say 613, that's a little overwhelming. Yeah, I get it. And that's why the scribe was like, can you please narrow it down and tell us what the main thing is? And Jesus tells them exactly what the main thing is. Love the Lord thy God and love your neighbors yourself. How are we doing in just those two? You have two questions on the test this morning. Better answer them. Because Jesus says, there's none other commandment greater than these. Loving your neighbors yourself, by the way, encapsulates the other six of the Ten Commandments. Commandment number five through number ten. And he kind of narrows it all down. God actually narrowed it down in those ten in the book of Exodus. And now Jesus narrows it down even further to just those two. Loving the Lord thy God and loving your neighbors yourself. And so as we consider the main thing this morning, what is the main thing? The main thing is loving the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then loving our neighbors ourself. That's the main thing. Then I want us to see number two here, not only the commandments, I want us to see as we continue through this story, the comparison. Pick it up in verse number 32. So as Jesus gets done going through these two commandments here, The scribe said unto him, Well, Master, thou hast said the truth. So he is agreeing with Jesus, and according to this passage, it seems as though there's a a sincere heart, a genuine heart. He's not trying to be uh, a jerk here. He's he's, he's honestly agreeing with the Lord here. Uh, Well, Master, thou hast said the truth. There is one God, and there is none other but He and to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love his neighbor as himself. He said, you've said all that, and he said, is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. So now the scribe is comparing the two commandments that Jesus said, the main thing to all these burnt offerings and sacrifices. He said, I agree with you that that is the main thing, and the burnt offerings and all these other sacrifices, they may be important, but they're not the main thing. And see, the attitude, uh, here, here, here's the deal. The scribe got it right. And uh, brother, brother, if you want to put that next slide up, the attitudes and affections of the heart are more important to God than the actions and appearances of of the outside. And that's what the scribe was saying. I mean, all the burnt offerings and the sacrifices that were everybody was going around doing in the temple and, and, and just kind of going through their normal routine. But to love the Lord thy God with all the strength and all the heart and all the understanding and to love his neighbors himself, that is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And so in this, we learn that God does care more about the condition of our hearts than He does about uh, the, our outward appearance. 1 Samuel sixteen seven, as Samuel looked upon Jesse's sons, and he saw Eliab, who was the oldest of the bunch, and Eliab looked like he was the guy to be the next king of Israel, here's what God said to Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. The Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. So people in that day, in Jesus' day here, when the scribe and him were having this conversation, people there outwardly looked fine. They had all the right clothing, and they were doing all of the right things. And they seemed to be very religious, and they seemed to be very spiritual, but the truth of the matter was, their, heart were far, their hearts were far from them, or far from the Lord. Jeremiah 17, and verse number 10, God says this, I, the Lord, search the heart, I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. First Chronicles twenty eight nine, and thou Solomon my son, now thou, now know now the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind, for the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imagination of the thoughts. So God cares most about the attitudes and affections of our hearts. Why? Because he knows that if our hearts are right, then the rest will be right too. Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, other than our Savior, said this, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. So what goes on in our hearts is going to eventually come out in our actions and appearance. See, everything flows from the heart. Solomon later said this, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Uh, what you see on the outside is not really who I am. Who I am is what's going on on the inside. And it was Jesus who said in Luke 6.45, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. So what's going on in our hearts is going to eventually come out in our lives. Now, this is, of course, not to say that actions and appearance do not matter at all. In fact, there is instruction throughout the Bible, and yes, even in the New Testament for Christians regarding our actions and appearance. We are told that we are saved unto good works, remember? And we're also uh, to be zealous about good works. And there is instruction about our appearance to the Christians in Corinth, Paul talked to the men about the shame of having long hair and not covering their heads. In 1 Timothy 2 and verse 9, Paul gave instruction to the women that they would adorn themselves in modest apparel. But the overall emphasis in the scripture is on the condition of the heart. See, there were too many people in that day who focused on the outward ceremonies and rituals, thinking that God was pleased with them while their hearts were far away from Him. Well, that was then. This is now. That doesn't happen now, does it? (laughs) Yes, it does. There are people still today who struggle with this, who think that God is pleased with them just because they get all gussied up for church and darken the doors of the church house. And so they check their religious box for the week, and they go live like the devil the rest of the week. God is not impressed with that. See, God cares about what's going on on the inside, not just the outward. Is he concerned about the outward? Yes, there's instruction regarding that. That's not the emphasis. David, King David recognized this truth. If you turn, hold your place here in Mark 12. We'll be back here in a minute. If you go to Psalm in chapter 51, the 51st Psalm. And as you're turning over there, let me give you just a little context of when this was written, Psalm 51. You see, David, the man after God's own heart, the sweet psalmist of Israel, the king of Israel, the second king of Israel, after some time, when he was about 50 years old, this man after God's own heart committed horrible sin and wickedness. He committed adultery with Bathsheba and covered it up through murdering her husband, Uriah. But what happened afterwards? For a while, outwardly, David seemed just hunky-dory. Everything was fine and dandy on the outward appearance of David. He continued to be king. He continued to go through the religious motions that he had gone through over and over again. He put on a pretty good show. He was a pretty good actor. But deep down, no one knew it, but deep down inside, there was tremendous guilt and pain. Finally, one day, he was confronted by the man of God, the man by the name of Nathan. As Nathan the prophet declares to David the powerful and piercing words, Thou art the man. David immediately breaks down in remorse and repentance over his sin and would soon after pen the words to Psalm 51. Now let's read through a few of these verses here. Verse 1, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression, and my sin is ever before me. In other words, I've been going through the motions, and everybody thinks I'm fine, but I keep being reminded of my sin. That that guilt continues to haunt me day after day. Verse 4, against thee, thee only have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shaped in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Verse number 6, notice this, Behold, thou desirest truth in thee, Outward parts, is that what he said? In the inward parts. And in the hidden part, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. David understood, look, my outward can be all just hunky-dory and everybody thinks I'm wonderful on the outside, but, but Lord, I know you want the truth in the inward parts of who I am. You want me to be right with you on the inside. So he says in verse 7, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, I shall be whiter than snow. Then jump down here to verse number 16. Here David says, For thou desirest not sacrifices, else I would give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering." Verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Verse number 19, once our heart is right, verse 19, then thou shalt be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering, then they shall offer bullocks upon Thy altar. We can flip back to Mark chapter 12. See, here was the deal. David had a heart that was completely filled with guilt and sin. It hadn't been dealt with, but he was continuing to outwardly go through the motions. And everybody thought, King David, Mr. Spiritual, hey, when are you going to write another song, David? Hey, can, I, can you pray for me? I'm going through a difficult time. Oh, sure. And he was just acting as though everything was going on or going just fine, but it really wasn't. Because inside he wasn't right with God. And going back here to Mark chapter 12, this scribe got it. He said, hey, to love him with all the heart, to love his neighbor as himself, that's more than all the outward stuff that we all have to do. It's not to say the outward stuff is not important. It's just not as important. The inward is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. See, the attitudes and affections of the heart are more important to God than the actions and appearances of the outside. Again, there is instruction regarding the actions and appearances of the outside. But we need to make sure that in our own lives that we're most concerned about the attitudes and affections of the heart. And so we see this comparison that the scribe makes to these commandments to all the other ones regarding the burnt offerings and the sacrifices. And then I want us to see thirdly as we wrap this up here, the closeness. Verse 34, after the scribe goes and explains this comparison between the commandments that Jesus just got done going through and these burnt offerings and sacrifices... Verse number 34, then Jesus saw that he answered discreetly. He said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. Not far from the kingdom of God. That's pretty good. It's actually quite a compliment coming from our Savior. He doesn't cast them aside. He says, hey, you're pretty close. And he's certainly better off than the young rich ruler found in Mark chapter 10. If you want to just flip back a couple pages to Mark 10 and verse number 23. Verse 17 says, He was gone forth in the way. There came one running and kneeled to him and asked, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And uh, he goes through some commandments in verse 19 and And uh, the guy, this rich young ruler says, hey, I have observed these from my youth. And then Jesus says, hey, one thing you're lacking, go go your way, whatever you have, I want you to sell it and follow me. Verse 22, he was sad at that saying and went away grieved for he had great possessions. And verse 23, here it is, Jesus' words to those around him, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God. Disciples were astonished at his words. Jesus answering again, saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? Oh, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. See, going back to Mark chapter 12, this rich young ruler was far from the kingdom of God. Why? Because of his money and possessions. This scribe is close to the kingdom of God, which is far better than being far. But is being close good enough? Not when you really think about it. Consider some of these statistics that I came across this week about being close. If 99.9% were good enough, then the IRS would lose 2 million documents this year. If 99.9% were good enough, 22,000 checks will be deducted from the wrong bank account in the next hour. If 99.9% were good enough, telecommunications companies will misdirect 1,314 telephone calls every minute. If 99.9% was good enough, then uh, more than 5.5 million cases of soft drinks in the next year will be flat. <laughs> If 99.9% was good enough, then over 3 million incorrect drug prescriptions will be filled each year in the United States. If 99.9% is good enough, then 12 babies will be given to the wrong parents every day. See, there are times when being close is not good enough. And as they say, close only counts in horseshoes and grenades. Now, we ought not to be satisfied with being close to the kingdom of God. We should only be content with being in the kingdom of God. Many people are so close to eternal life. They're 18 inches away from it. You see, they know it up here, but they don't know it down here. 18 inches in the book of Acts, we read how the Apostle Paul shared his testimony with King Agrippa. After going through the gospel with him, the king's response was this, Almost, thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Almost. Close, but not in. And then if, But then if you go in your mind all, all the way to a hill called Calvary, just outside of Jerusalem, as Jesus is there on the cross... Remember, there are two others who were crucified with him, one on either side of our Savior. One of them railed on Jesus, but the other rebuked him, and then he turned to the man in the middle. He said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. See, being close is not good enough, friend. Billy Sunday said, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to a garage makes you an automobile. You see, there is a choice, a decision that must be made, a decision to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior by repenting of your sin and believing on Him alone for your salvation. Again, I believe that there are many churches throughout this country and world who have a lot of people in them who are close the kingdom of God, who are not far from the kingdom of God, according to Jesus here. They're around the truth. They're close to it, but they're not in it. They've never been born again. And again, as we've gone through these different instances, when people have come and been face to face with the truth... It just is appalling to me that they're so close to the one who has the answers, and yet they never chose to trust him. I can't help but think that there's people even in this room who maybe grew up in a Christian home and were surrounded by the truth for about 12 years. That was my situation. I grew up in a Christian home. My mom and dad took me to church whether I wanted to go or not. And I was at church, and I heard the preacher preach, and, and I heard the gospel I don't know how many times. I was close, but I was not in. Until one day, on Christmas night, I was going through my a book that I was going through to, become, to go from being a buckaroo to a pioneer, the Royal Rangers. And it asked me, please write the date that you asked Jesus to be your Savior. I remember looking at that going, boy, I know I've heard about it so many times, but I guess I've never done that. Hmm. I was close, but I wasn't in. And that day I turned my chair around and I prayed and I asked the Lord to come into my heart and to be my Savior and to forgive me my sin. And that day I went from being close to being in the kingdom of God. I wonder if there's somebody here today who's close to the kingdom of God. Stop being content with being close. Stop being content with just being around the truth. Why don't you accept the truth for yourself right here, right now? God's word doesn't ever tell us, hey, take your time on this decision. You might want to weigh it all and study it all out. Now, obviously, study it all out. But look, today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow, not sometime down the future. Joshua said to the people there at the end of his life, he said, choose you this day, not choose you tomorrow. We need to make a decision right now on what we're going to do with Jesus Christ. This man was not far from the kingdom of God, but I don't think we should be content with just simply being close. I think we need to make sure that we're in the kingdom of God. So my question to you is, Are ye in? Not are ye close. Are ye in? So today, as we consider this passage, let's remember the main thing. The main thing is to love God with our whole being. And I know I didn't do a great job explaining it, but we need to love the Lord thy God with all our heart, soul, strength, mind, and heart. And then we're to love our neighbors, ourselves. We also need to remember that while God does care about the outward, He's most concerned about the inward heart. And then it doesn't really matter how close you are to the kingdom of God. What matters most is whether or not you are in the kingdom of God. Whether or not you've been born again or not. So how about it, my friend? The main thing. Are you remembering the main thing as you go through your life to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, and to love your neighbor as yourself? Are you remembering that... God is most concerned about the inward heart and the condition of the heart than He is the outward appearance and actions. Let's remember the main thing today. Lord, we do thank you for the opportunity to gather together and to assemble together as as people to worship you. Lord, you're certainly deserving of it and worthy of it. And uh, Lord, I pray that you'd help us remember the main thing. Keep the main thing the main thing. That's loving you with all our heart, soul, mind and strength, and to love our neighbors ourselves. Lord, I pray that you would help us to do so. When we recognize what you have done for us, Lord, it ought not to be a drudgery, a feeling of obligation, but Lord, may we have a desire to love you with all we are and to let you be our supreme love and to love our neighbors ourselves. And then Lord, help us to put that before the other stuff that people see. Certainly, that's important, but, but not more important. So, Lord, help us to make sure that our hearts are right with you most of all. And then, Lord, you told this man that he wasn't far from the kingdom of God. Lord, I wonder if there are some here today who are, like him, pretty close to the kingdom of God, but not yet in the kingdom of God. Well, I pray that today would be the greatest day of their life. May they make the decision to not just be close, but to be in the kingdom of God.